You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your copy of God's Word and find the, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, as we continue our series through the book of John, it's been a wonderful journey for your pastor, I have to admit. So often it is as we study and and look at the word, literally verse by verse, word by word, phrase by phrase, um, that God really does a a work in in my own heart. One of years ago, I made the commitment when I first began to pastor would have been 20-something years ago, and I began to preach on a, on a daily basis, I began to understand the, the importance of, of understanding God's Word in a way that uh, how it was written. And uh, I say it that way because we are people that we love the Word and we respect the Word, and, and uh, we have our, our verses that we believe in and we you know, can quote, but we're not really a people that are really good at studying the Word. And understanding the totality of the word as it is written, as it would have been read out and read within the the ministries of the church. And so years ago, I began preaching through books of the Bible, uh, and the idea being that's the way that letter would have arrived at that church. And they would have read that letter, and they would have understood what was going on in that way. So sometimes when we get to the book of John, it's it's a long journey, but what a great journey. Uh, to hear and to understand more about Jesus Christ and what that means for us. So find John chapter 12. I want us to think about this phrase, death before life. What does that mean? It almost doesn't make sense, does it? I share that that way because I think we are in danger when it comes to what the message of Jesus Christ is all about to miss death before life. It's a a wonderful, let let me, let me go to the text first. Let me, let me go to the text. I think you'll understand this next statement I'm uh, about to make. So look at John chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 19 and then I'm going to read through 36. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. I want to circle this. The hour has come 
See, throughout the gospel, it was the hour has not come. The time is not now. Now we see the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant also will be. And if anyone serves me, the father, notice this phrase, will honor him. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled and I And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come not for my sake, but for yours. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And we pray that that is all that we hear. Your word speaking to our heart. Let us come to truly grasp that without death, There is no life. And this we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. The end of verse 19, the Pharisees said, don't miss this, the world has gone after him. And then very briefly in the beginning of verse 20, we see that these Greeks come to him and want an audience with Christ. You see what's going on here? The world is going, the, the Pharisees said that he, he is, he is he's gathering a crowd, he's gathering a, a frenzy and the world has come to him. The Greeks represented the world. 
They would have been Gentile God-fearers. They were, they were people that were seeking after, the, after God, but they were not part of the old covenant people. They were not part of the, of the nation of Israel. They were outside the scope of the old covenant. And they come to Christ. And then immediately Christ says, the hour has come. In essence, what Christ is saying, it is time. It is time to go to the cross and to give my life for the penalty of sin beyond the nation of Israel and to the Gentile world and that will impact humankind. But in order for that to happen, There must be death before there is life. What a great message. I I always, you know, it's it's somebody, a lot of times people ask me about how do you, how do you put a sermon together? What do you do? And it's kind of a a silly way to think of it. I'm got, I guess I'm kind of a, a crock pot guy. I just put the text in my heart and mind and that thing cooks all week long. And all week long, I I just, all week long, the text, the text, the text, the text, the text just cooks in my heart and in, in my soul. And I kept thinking about this idea that what Christ is saying to, to this the people here about his cross and his death and his life. And and we're going to get to that theologically, but I couldn't help but to think about practically how that plays out when it comes to evangelism. We're in in the midst of, of, uh, Annie Armstrong and global missions and North American missions. How does that play out? And I just have been so burdened by what we have done with the gospel, what we have done with the good news of Jesus Christ. Our gospel has gotten away from death before life. The Greeks came to him and said, hey, we've got questions. Tell us what it is, what's going on here? And immediately he goes into this discourse about his hour has come. He must die in order for fruit to be born. And he goes immediately into the Isaiah, the suffering servant and the death on the cross and what that means. And I, I couldn't help but to think what we have done in our own country, in our own churches, of how we have taken the gospel and watered it down to such a, an aspect, how we've taken discipleship and watered it down. There's no hope in the Lord Jesus Christ without death first. I can remember sitting in a setting as a youth pastor many years ago and, and I loved my pastor and I respected my pastor and, and I remember sitting in a setting on a mission trip and he stood before a group of young people and he presented Jesus as a great loving Jesus and he, pre- he presented heaven as a great place to go and he, he looked into this life of these young children and he says, how many of you believe in Jesus and, and who Jesus was and how many of you want to go to heaven one day where Jesus is and he said if you want to love Jesus and you want to go to heaven one day when you die I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes and he he went through this prayer about believing in Jesus and going to heaven when you die and I'm not just a young whippersnapper and I'm pretty sure I still had one eye open going 
That's not the gospel. Is it? That we believe in Jesus and that we can go to heaven when we die? Now, I was young and I would never have done anything to disrespect my pastor in that setting. I do think he had a heart for the Lord and he had a heart to see people come to know Christ. But we can't come to know Christ until we realize why we don't already know Christ. We don't know Christ because we're dead and our trespasses and sin and we are just sinners in need of salvation. So it's not just I believe in Jesus and I want to go to heaven when I die. Is that I am dead in my trespasses and sin and I need a savior that is willing to die on a cross and to shed his blood for my sin. And I need to repent of that sin and I need to place my faith in Christ and to realize that he must have died so that I must live. And I am already dead so that I may live. I'm not trying to be cute and play around with words or people's intent or people's motive, but I remember the young man thinking, these kids have not heard the gospel. We must die before we live. Jesus was a historical person and Jesus does, and heaven is a real place, but Jesus is agonizing on going to a cross and dying for our sin. The reason we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ is because God is a holy, righteous, loving God. And we are fallen and depraved. We just sing about, we're a worm. You pick up on the wording of that? We're worms. If you're visiting with us today, praise the Lord, you're a worm. But I tell people, that's what makes Jesus so wonderful. That's why we get excited about Jesus. Because we were once there. And he gave his life for us when we were still there. But he did it anyway. And so you think about all that is taking place. Even at the very end of the text... Who is this son of man? And Jesus says, I mean, Jesus is a lot more patient than I am. I mean, could you imagine if one of us would have been Jesus and they would have said, who is this son of man? He would have said, have you not been listening to me for the previous 11 chapters? I am the light of the world. We must die before we live. There's two great points I want us to look at as we look through this text. The world has come to Christ. He is predicting his death. And literally at the end of the, of the 12th chapter of John, if you go back and look at a, a good outline of the gospel of John, is like... 12 chapters of kind of his public ministry. Now in John 13, he goes to a private ministry with the disciples as he prepares for the cross. This is a crucial, John 12 is the turning point. He is literally making his way to the cross. The hour has come. Look at verses 20 through 26. 
He said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come, Jesus is saying. Now is the time for my crucifixion. Now is the time that I must go into Jerusalem as they celebrate the Passover. Now is the time that I must acknowledge and to be that Passover lamb. And throughout the Gospels, you see the religious people look at Jesus, but they want Jesus to be their Messiah instead of Jesus being the Messiah. The Messiah that was coming to fulfill the law and to fulfill the new covenant based on Isaiah was a suffering servant that was going to die for the sins of the world and it would enter into a new covenant. He was a suffering servant, not a military leader and this victorious person in the standpoint of of what they viewed as victory. And so Jesus was saying, I have to come and die. But they were going, no, wait a minute. Yeah, we won't. We've already put the palm branches down and the cloaks for you. We are looking for a deliverer. We are looking for victory. We're looking to get out of this Roman oppression. I think a lot of times that's what we do with evangelism. Who wants to believe in themselves? Who wants to have a great marriage? Who wants to not ever be sick again? Who wants to be happy all the time? Come to Jesus. That's a false gospel. Who wants the peace that passes all understanding? Realize who you are and what Christ can offer. See, that's victory to me. That's peace to me. That's true joy to me. And the tension of all of this text is what did they want Jesus to be and who Jesus is, who he's from, where he's from, what he came to do. Jesus is saying the hour has come. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. The hour has come, he says. And he shows us this in practical principles. You could, you could look at it this way, uh, the harvest principle, the big picture. In order to grow, in order to multiply, Jesus said you've got to first be dead. You think a, a, it's just an agriculture, you, it's dead, it looks dead. And you plant it in the ground and it begins to grow. Jesus is saying that I must die so that we may live. If we want to come to know Christ, if we want to know true life, then we must first be dead. D.L. Moody is a, a great evangelist in Moody Bible School and up in Chicago many years ago and was an influential pastor in America. And he was at a, uh, one of my little favorite stories about him. It's so true. He, he, was, he was talking about uh, being at a street corner preaching and some drunk walked by. It's always a drunk, isn't it? The drunk walks by and goes, hey, D.L., Got saved at one of your revival meetings. And he hollered straight back. I always admire these old guys. They were always, they had a little bit more boldness than some of us whippersnappers these days. And he kind of hollered back at the street corner. He says, no, sir. He said, I I came to Christ at one of your revivals. He said, no, you didn't come to Christ. Evidently, you just came to me. Because, sir, if you'd have come to Christ, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing today. 
And D.L. Moody is known for saying this, before you can get a man saved, you must get a man lost. That's a good word. Jesus is saying the same thing. If we want to be alive, we have to be dead first. Jesus is saying, if you want me to be the Messiah, then I must die first. There's a harvest principle. It's like death before multiplication. There's death before life. That's a great principle as a believer living every day, dying to self. I was taking part in a a wedding ceremony yesterday. When you're the pastor leading the wedding, you can say whatever you want to for a little bit anyway. And I looked at Garrett and Rayleigh in front of everybody and said, do you realize, I mean, in front of everybody, in front of the mother-in-laws and the mothers, they can't really, they could cause a scene, but it would be real embarrassing. Garrett, do you realize you're marrying a sinner? Rayleigh, do you realize you're marrying a sinner? But you're a redeemed sinner. And marriage is about sacrifice and humility and daily dying to self. What false hope would I have given that young couple if I said, you know what? The day is the beginning of the greatest of the rest of your life. You are never going to have sorrow. You are never going to have heartache. And the joy that you are feeling right this second never leaves you. What if I said that? You might could say, well, from a theological deep-rooted aspect, it is right. But it's not a practical aspect, is it? But we know that that is the greatest relationship we have this side of heaven. But it takes daily dying to self. Jesus said, if you want to understand who I am, then you understand that I must die so that you may live. He goes on to say, I guess you could say like a a big picture, a harvest principle. Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I wrote in, in my Bible in pencil, salvation. Whoever loses his life, you think about salvation. Salvation is when we realize, save me. It's the word itself. What does the word itself convey? That we are lost and that we are in need of something. The whole aspect of the gospel is you're trying to get one to see their need for Christ, their need for a redeemer, the need of their hopelessness apart from forgiveness of sin. And the Bible clearly says that whoever loves his life loses it. I love my life, but I'm willing to lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Are you willing to lose your life in this world to gain all eternity? That's a great question. That's what Jesus posed to them and what he poses to us. Then verse 26, I just simply at some point wrote discipleship. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. 
And where I am, there my servant will be also. Now that is a great, we could stop right here and have the rest of the day. If I realize, think about this principle. In all of these gospels and these, and these discords, all Jesus is trying to get them to see who is Jesus. Who is the Son of Man? If I realize that I am dead in my trespasses and sin and through the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel, I begin to realize, here's what happens. Let's just say, here's, here's kind of what happens. You think everything's great. Everything's going along great. You're living life. Everything's just great. And all of a sudden you hear the gospel. And the, and the word of God is taken by God the Father, the God the Spirit, and you, you hear the gospel, and then God's wonderful providential sovereignty and how everything works on his side of heaven, your eyes and ears are opened up to the gospel. And all of a sudden you realize, hey, this is about me. That was what happened to me. I'd been in church my whole life. Then one day it was like, hey, this is about me. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm a sinner. Wait a minute, I, I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. Oh my goodness, I, I'm separated from God and his holiness. All these years I've believed it, now all of a sudden, hey, this is me. I'm dead and I'm separated and he is holy and loving and righteous and I'm just a worm. And I need to be saved. And I see that Jesus Christ is the one that can save me. And when that happens, naturally what should flow out of that from a theological perspective, hey, he saved me. I'm gonna serve and follow him. Why? Because he is the answer to eternal life. He is my life. He is my master. He is my Lord. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's no way that we can acknowledge who Jesus is and then not serve love and to follow him. Now that doesn't mean that we're not still fallen people and we, have, we still have our issue. We're still a mess this side of heaven. And it doesn't mean that every waking moment we are completely 100% dedicated and serving and following. We still have our hiccups and our habits and hang-ups. Don't ask me to repeat that again. But what we're talking about is not little segments in our day that we fall back into our fallenness and our John, John begins to take back over. What we're not talking about those issues, but we are talking about your life being dedicated to the Savior that saved you. He is not Savior and then someday down the road, he becomes our Lord. We don't just take Jesus for who he is by a decision that we make and then not humbly follow after him and worship him and serve him and follow after him. And the reason we do that, we know what life is without him. I've been down this road before. I know what dead looks like. I know how stinky dead is. I know what life is without Christ and he's given me new life. I'm going to serve and I am going to follow him. And Jesus is saying, this hour has come. 
that I must die so that I may live. I must die that you may live. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be. Hello. Where Christ is, his followers are. Notice this. It's, it's just, have you ever been reading the Bible and you know you've read a verse a thousand times probably and all of a sudden it's like, when did they add that? I start looking at like some old Greek Bibles going, did they just add this this week? If anyone serves me, the Father will honor me. How about that for a goal in life? You want to be honored by the Father? You want to know that you're doing what God will? How many of us pray? I just wish I knew God's will. I'll tell you God's will. Fall in love with Jesus and follow after him. That's God's will. Love the Lord. Love his word. Love being a believer. I think sometimes we forget just being excited to be a Christian. That's, that's really all that it is. Just love being a Christian and love living for the Lord and remembering all that we have in Christ. I had a little talk with somebody this week about being negative. Could you imagine if Christians just stopped being negative? It's like we look for what is wrong. Okay, I don't want to look at what is wrong. I want to look at Jesus. I live in a fallen world. That's why we're still here. There's a goal for this, okay? When I, when I turn on the news, I'm going to see fallenness. That's why we're still here. That's why the Lord hasn't returned yet. We'll get into that in a little bit. But as Christians, we look at everything and everything becomes so negative and so this and so that. And we just look at life looking for everything that's not right. Listen, I know the world is not right, but I'm not following that which is not right. I'm following the one that is right and I'm following him. So I'm focused on him. That'll honor the Father. You want to know the will of God in your life? Follow after Christ. That'll honor the Father. That'll preach, by the way. There's not really points to this sermon. Well, that didn't make sense. (laughs) They're not rhyming little snappy points to this sermon. Thought one, the hour has come. Now thought two. When I am lifted up. The setting is the Greeks have come. Jesus is saying, oh, the world's coming. Da-da, the hour's come. Not that they came to let Jesus know what was next. They came because it is next. He's showing the Jews the world has come. The hour is upon us. And he's teaching. He's preaching. Because of the Greeks coming and wanting to know, Jesus continues his discourse And he says in verse 27, now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, because for this hour is why I've come. Jesus is not praying when he's in the garden. Oh, I don't really want to do this. God is not up in heaven going, oh my goodness, what if Jesus doesn't do this? It's not when Jesus says, Father, not thou, take this cup. It's not that Jesus is changing his mind. It's Jesus is simply saying, listen, you know, Father, 
I know this must happen. Jesus is Jesus for this reason. There's not a Jesus number two waiting if Jesus number one doesn't follow through. This is the plan. It's a rhetorical question. What should I say, Father? Save me from this hour? And he says, no, Father, this is why I'm here. You have sent me for this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and he says, I will glorify your name and I will glorify it again. You know, there are three times that we can see in the gospels where, where a, a voice comes from heaven and, you know, don't, don't necessarily need to read too much into it, but sometimes we don't read enough into it. It is baptism. The gospels say that a sound came from heaven. When Jesus began his ministry, heaven cried out, this is my son. Matthew's gospel, it doesn't tell us this in John, but the other synoptic gospels, at his transfiguration, a sound came from heaven. This is my son. At the beginning of his ministry, in the middle of his ministry, and at the, at the end of his earthly ministry, a, a sound comes from heaven. This is my son. You could say Jesus is prophet, Jesus is priest, Jesus is king. That God is solidifying who his son is and what Jesus came to do. He said, I will be glorified. I have been glorified when I sent you, when you came and you were born and you've lived the sinless life, I have been glorified. When you die on that cross and you arose again and you come to the right hand of the Father, I will be glorified. God says, I will be glorified. The triumphant entry, Luke's gospel said, if, I don't, if the people don't cry out, Jesus said, the rocks will cry out. I was looking at that this week and studying about the, how is he glorified? What does it mean to glorify? It, it just, it's, it's very simple. When God's will is manifested, when God's revealed will is made known, he is glorified. When the gospel is preached, God is glorified. When we sing the songs of the faith, the scriptural songs of the faith, God is glorified. When we live an obedient life according to scripture, God is glorified. When his son died on the cross, he was glorified. When he walked us in this life, he was glorified. When he was born in a manger of a virgin, he was glorified. When the revealed will of God is made known, God is glorified. It doesn't matter what the world says. When we preach truth in a world that does not want to hear it, God is glorified. What are we after? The glory of God or the glory of man? Jesus said, I have to be lifted up. I have to die so that the Father would be glorified. Throughout scripture, there's this continuous, already 
but not yet. There's a, there's a storyline in all of his redemptive history, the already and the not yet. We know that we are already made alive in Christ, but we have not yet seen that fully when we're reigning in heaven for all glory. Jesus has already been glorified, but will not be totally glorified until he arose from the dead. And then we go into this section beginning in verse 30. And it's a great lesson. It's a sermon within a sermon. Don't get nervous. This isn't sermon two. Jesus said, listen, this voice did not come for my sake. It's for your sake. The hour has not come for my sake. It's come for your sake. I am lifted up is not for my sake. It has come for your sake. Notice what Jesus says. There are four things I think we can see. You could say why the cross, what the cross will accomplish, what Jesus did for us on that cross. There are four things that we see here when we think about why the Son of Man was lifted up. Now is the judgment of the world. Number one, to pass judgment on the world, to expose the sin of humanity, to provide reconciliation because of that sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's like in our world today, it's, I get, you know, I've, I've been told this my whole life. I've been told a lot of things my whole life. Some I'm still working on, some are not my fault. How about this one? Don't judge me. I love those shirts. Only God can judge me. Now, most of the times I've seen that, it's not bought at the Christian bookstore. Sharon will not let me do this. But I'm going to do it one day. Excuse me, sir. He's going to judge you one day. Excuse me. And he's going to use this. Not what you think. Just thought I'd share that. (laughs) Only God can judge me. Yes, he can. And yes, he will. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ, I'd face this judgment like that. Think about that. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I'd, I'm going to tell you, don't. A lot of times when people first join the church, you think your staff is perfect. All that chuckled understand that statement. So for those that have joined our church lately and you think John, Matt, and Joy are perfect, We're not. I am a wretched sinner saved by grace. And if not for the blood of Jesus Christ and him opening my eyes to his goodness and his forgiveness, I deserve hell and damnation. He died to judge the world of sin. We're talking about the end times and different stuff coming on. And the the other day, Wednesday or something. Well, the second point got me thinking about it too. The whole idea of 
tribulation, rapture, second coming, all of that wrapped up. We all get hung up on the, that's the crazy thing about most Baptists. We always get hung up on the details, but we always get hung up on the wrong details. We're so worried about the timing of the rapture and who's going to be the president or who's going to be leading this or where the Antichrist is. We miss the whole picture of what all this is taking place. The whole idea of the end times is judgment. And he's coming back and he is going to pour his undiluted wrath on fallen humanity. Now, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and your sins have been washed away by the blood of the Lamb, that's not you. That's not you. But I'm telling you, it is going to be a wrath like has never been seen in all of humanity. Because it is the wrath of a holy God on a sinful society. But he died in the cross to take that judgment away. Secondly, he died on that cross. Notice what he says there. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I need to move quickly. That's so Satan. There's different lines of thought. And whenever I say that, I don't want you to get nervous that there's different things that Bible teaches or you can believe this and you can believe that. There are just different things of Scripture that we don't fully know right now. But if we step back, the big picture doesn't change. It doesn't change theologically. It just may be, you know, exactly what is Christ's meaning here. I personally believe my personal conviction that the moment that Jesus Christ died on that cross and paid the penalty for that sin, Satan lost his power and influence, that he had a a power and influence before. Some would hold that that is coming later on before the great tribulation. The part of the great tribulation is Satan gets unleashed and all that. I look at it at the cross. And I've always heard this story that when Jesus died, because Satan's not omniscient, all-knowing, and all-powerful. Satan has some power, but he's not all-powerful. So the, the story kind of goes like this. You know, they're throwing a party in hell at the crucifixion. Woo, we did it! Party in hell. Jesus died. Uh, going on the third day here at the party, I got bad news. Somebody want to go tell Satan? I always think about this. I like gangster movies. Sharon makes me watch them. <laughs> Nobody ever wants to go to the Godfather and tell him bad news. I, always, I know my mind is just weird. That is what I think about. Who's going to go tell Satan? I'm not telling him. You tell him. I'm not telling him. He'll get his Al Capone baseball bat out. You go tell him. Tell me what? He's alive. He's not dead. At that crucifixion, he judged Satan. He lost that power and influence he had before our Savior paid the penalty for our sin. The new covenant was instituted. Number three, verse 32, why the cross? 
so that I may be lifted up from the earth. I think that is a physical, naturally that is a physical thing, but oh, that is a spiritual thing. So that I may be lifted up, that I may die on the cross, that I may pay the price, may, that I may do what no one else can do, no other God or no other religion or nobody can do this. I am lifted up. I will judge the world. I will defeat the, the, the wicked one. I will defeat Satan and I am lifted up. And then look at number four. And will draw all people to myself. Circle all. It's been an Israel religion up to this point. This is, I like this all. It goes from religion to Christianity right here. What is all? It's no longer the old covenant law in the nation of Israel. When the Greeks came, it became all. When he was lifted up, it became all. The atonement had a, what I like to say, the, the atonement had a, 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 a limited purpose. And somebody said, oh my goodness, what does a, a limited purpose mean? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's pretty limited. I use that terminology because just because Jesus died on the cross doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. There would be no point of Jesus dying on the cross if he just died on the cross. No, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, when you hear Jesus, I don't have time to read it, when you hear Jesus talk about my sheep, my fold, mine, we, we, we think about Paul, those that are elect, we think about the church, the whosoevers, that is who Jesus died for, those that call on the name of the Lord in salvation. So it is limited to the standpoint of those that will be saved. But at the same time, it has a universal scope. It is beyond the borders of a nation. It is beyond the borders of a denomination. It is beyond the borders of a people. All of the people need to hear the gospel. All mankind need to be faced with the plight of their sin and the gift that they can have in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It is universal in its scope. That is why we do missions to the end of the earth. But we can dare not take, I mean, I literally have heard a pastor say this before, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, therefore everyone will be saved. Jesus Christ died on a cross, and so therefore everybody will get a chance in heaven to make that decision. That Jesus Christ died on a cross, what's the big deal? He paid the penalties that whosoever can be saved and whosoever is everybody. That is not the gospel. If that was the case, then Jesus wouldn't be looking these people in their heart and eyes and saying, the light is with you, but you choose to walk in darkness. He died on that cross so that we can be the church and give a mission offering. Quit tipping God with mission offerings, by the way. Give God everything you have so that people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I've been lifted up for the Jews and for the Gentiles and that mankind may hear the gospel. And he leaves with these words. So who, and again, if I was Jesus, I would have pulled out some type of leprosy, voodoo, something, and you can't say voodoo and Jesus in the same sentence, can you? I'd have called down thunder from heaven. I'd have thrown a lightning bolt in them. Well, then tell us who the Son of Man is. Are you kidding me? 
That's the world that we live in. You think about the power of the gospel message. I will, there will be some of you that walk out of here today and go, no big deal. You'll walk out of here today going, who is the son of man? The gospel has the same power that Jesus Christ had when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead four days later and they looked at Jesus and said, now who are you? That's the gospel today. It has that same raised from the dead power if we believe it and we preach it. Go back to that little setting of children and evangelism when I was a youth pastor. Listen, I believe that them little children need to know the gospel. There's not an adult gospel and a child gospel. It is the gospel. We preach the gospel and then we say, come forth. But it's got to be the gospel. And then he says, You're, you've got the light. You better walk in it. I was riding home last night and I'm thinking about, I got the crock pot on high and I'm thinking about the message in our neighborhood. There's a, a little corner that's dark and I told Sharon, she loves all my pastor stories. What a joy it must be to live with me. <laughs> She's really not doing lesson plans all the time. She's just trying to get away from me. And I said, do you know what Jesus was telling them? I said, in Jewish times, there were no street lights. Think about how dark the place. Remember the hurricane? That's pretty dark. Unplug your generators. That was pretty dark, wasn't it? Could you imagine leaving your house at night and there's no electricity? You didn't do it. When Jesus tells them, hey, while you've got the light, you don't walk at sundown. You run your errands when there's light because when it's dark, you can't see anything. You don't know anything and you are lost and you are afraid and you are frightened. I am the light. You better come to the light. That's the message we have today. His hour has come. He has been lifted up. We have the already, but not yet fully manifested. We have the already. He has done this. What hope do we have to reach Avon Park? What hope do we have to reach South Florida? What hope do we have to reach all of Florida and the world? What hope do we have? The hour has come and he has been lifted up. Do you know Jesus Christ in this way? Have you responded to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you, like me, for the first time, maybe sitting under the word today, hey, he's talking about me. I need to be saved. Then maybe today is the day that you need to come to Christ. And you need to walk in the light. And you need to live in the light. Maybe there are some of us here today like the disciples. You are a disciple. You are a believer. But you're not living as a disciple. You're not following Christ. You're not serving Christ. God is not honored by the way you live your life. You're not in God's will because you're not serving Christ. You're not following Christ. There's an intellectual understanding about who Jesus is. But there's a heart issue and there's a lordship issue.
Come to Christ. Follow Christ. And live in the light. Let's stand as we pray this morning. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. And as we sing this morning, I pray that we respond to your word. As we sing about being drawn nearer to the gospel, I pray that we understand where we are in relationship to you. Let us not leave here the same as we entered. Let today be the day of our salvation. Let today be the day that we make that commitment to follow after you. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.